1: Welcome into the 11th episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick, longtime sports writer and commentator in South Florida, along with my friend here, Chris Whittingham. We try to take you around the world of sports, uh, focus a lot on the NBA. We're going to do another NBA podcast today, and we waited on this one, Chris. We were going to do this before the trade deadline and talk about where LeBron James might play next season. It's always a hot topic and particularly around this time of year, and particularly when he is not signed for the next season and has kind of held the organization hostage a little and, bit, and particularly when his organization is a cluster bleep, <laughs> right, that too. And we did it. We did a podcast on that a couple of weeks ago about whether the Cavaliers could still get to the finals. We decided to wait on this one until after the trade deadline. I think that was a fortuitous decision that we did because obviously the Cavs situation has changed quite a bit because they played the greatest game in NBA history <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting from reading social media today. It's, it changes everything because LeBron started to smile quite a bit because he was out from under... Isaiah Thomas and Iman Shumpert and Derrick Rose and Jake Crowder and I guess Dwayne Wade too, right? Um, the Yesterday LeBron cemented looked, that they're going back to the finals. They're going time. back to the finals. I, it was just amazing. So it, we decided that after the greatest game that's ever been played, and I, I only say that somewhat facetiously because I think the fact that Paul Pierce had to sit through that was, was kind of funny, particularly the way that Paul Pierce acted. I enjoyed with, it. Yeah, I, I did too. With with uh, He was so upset that Isaiah Thomas – was gonna get a uh, what a thirty second video on his night. I i I'm, I've never been a huge Paul Pierce fan, Chris. I got to admit. And Celtics fans who can be a little bit obnoxious, and they just they had to wait through that entire thirty point blowout to get to the uh, the Paul Pierce celebration. So a little bit of joy in that. But let's get to this today, Chris, because this thing came out last week before the trade deadline. Um, came out through Bovada, the odds on where LeBron James would play. Game one of the 2018-2019 season. And I sent you these odds at the time because a lot of them made no sense to me. And And l- let's go through them quickly, and then we'll get to five of the spots that he could play next year. They had the Houston Rockets as as five to two favorites. I don't think that's a huge surprise because his buddy Chris Paul is there, and the Rockets have a legitimate chance to win a championship this year. Obviously, they're they're well-positioned to do that, and they have the guy who's probably going to be the MVP of the league in James Harden. They had the Cavaliers second at 11-4. to four. Again, that was before the trades were made when they all still hated each other. They had the Lakers at 5-1, third, and that was before the Lakers made the trade with the Cavaliers, which cleared cap space. Good so far. To potentially acquire LeBron James. Yeah, no problem with the first three. We're going to talk about all three of those individually on the podcast. They had the Warriors 6-1 to one as the fourth team. You know, again, that report came out, Chris Haynes, we talked about that on a recent pod, probably dropped out by Rich Paul, um, thrown out there that LeBron would consider a meeting with the Golden State Warriors. I think it'd be terrible for his legacy, but they have the Warriors fourth at 6-1. to one. And then this is where some of the surprises came in here. They had the Detroit Pistons at 10-1. to one. Can you explain that one to me? I, I can't even venture again. We, we, we talked about it sort of, I, after you said that to
2: me, like Detroit, what is even the link there? Because there's no, you know, Cleveland coming home. There's no front office. There's no player. I don't understand how Detroit gets in there in any conceivable form or fashion.
1: So we're going to throw that one out here. I, I don't think that's going to be one of those. We get to our five reasons for various places. Uh, I think we're just going to toss Detroit aside. Another the one they had a ten to one here. The Philadelphia 76ers. That one makes a little more sense. We'll touch on that later. They have Minnesota at twelve to one. I, the, the Timberwolves are, are poised, you know, to sort of move up the Western Conference. They've made big improvements this year with Jimmy Butler. They have a nice young core with uh, with Towns and Wiggins, but but I, I don't know. Again, cold weather, not a particularly attractive destination, and playing for Tibbs. Not <laughs> right. <laughs> not, <laughs> How many <laughs> minutes? I think LeBron would average
2: forty nine <laughs> minutes a game if he played for Tibbs. I-
1: I think that's low. I think that's low. <laughs> I, th- I I think it'd be a lot more than that. Actually, I, I think um,
2: if if you go back and I think you, if it's through Wilt Chamberlain's basketball reference page. There's mm-hmm. one year where he averaged more than 48 minutes a game, where because uh, I t- guess like the team played a number of overtime games, he averaged more than 48 minutes a game. That would be LeBron under Tibbs.
1: Yeah, I th- I think Tibbs would force overtime intentionally, just to make Jimmy Butler and LeBron come out there and, and play more minutes. So I think we're gonna throw Minnesota out also. I I don't understand that one. They have San Antonio at fourteen to one. We'll cover them a little bit. Uh look, uh LeBron loves Popovich and and so a start there. He loves what that organization stands for. But we'll we'll talk about the Spurs a little later. Then they have the Bucks at fifteen to one. I don't I don't see it. And, and then this gets to this one. They have tenth in the list. New York, which I, he does have somewhat of an affinity for the city and particularly for that building, but he's had they have the Knicks at sixteen to one. He's had numerous opportunities right. to uh, to push the New York agenda and uh, and has not. Right? I mean, he hasn't even wanted to take meetings with them. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're a little bit better off now without Phil talking about LeBron's posse. So that that helps. But uh, but they're still a cluster bleep organization. They are, and Porzingis, uh, you know, being out for the next year. If he had somebody he wants to play with, he wouldn't be playing with him. Right away, anyway. So that that's the 10 teams that they have here on the list. Well, we're going to go with five others here, Chris. We're going to go with Cleveland, the Lakers, Houston, the Heat, which is not on this list. and, and I do, But I do think that they're worth touching on, at least. And then we're going to go to the field. So let, let's start with the first one here. What I think is still the most likely scenario. I'm going to go with the first one with Cleveland. And it's not just based off yesterday's game, because I, I don't want to make too much of that. But I do think that as much as LeBron dislikes Dan Gilbert, and that's been apparent even as he's gone back to Cleveland and won a championship with him, it's still the easiest thing to do for LeBron at this point is just to stay put. I do think that although I don't want to make too much of, of one game in terms of the players they brought in, it was clear he wasn't happy with the players that were brought in before this group. The Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder trade, didn't work out for LeBron. And that was apparent with LeBron's body language with both guys on the court throughout this season. So I'm not making it as much about the new guys they brought in. We're going to have to see how that fits. I do think there's something to be said for LeBron playing with non-stars. I talked about that on the podcast the other day. I, a lot of his best lineup combinations over the course of his career have come when he's been the only you know, legitimate star on the floor. And we can argue about what Kevin Love is and when he comes back. But right now, at least for the next couple months, he's going to be playing without a legitimate star next to him. But even if you go back to his Miami days, Chris, when you look at some of the best lineups, I go back to the 2012-2013 the season, the 27-game winning streak. The best lineup during that 27-game winning streak was LeBron with four subs. It was LeBron playing with... Ray Allen, who was not a star at that stage of his career. Norris Cole, Shane Battier, and Chris Anderson. Mm. So so he's had he's had tremendous success over the years playing with guys who just understand their roles. And we even saw it the other night, before they brought in the new players. And I know they're playing an Atlanta team that's playing for the lottery right now or playing for the number one pick. But he had 19 assists in that game. And so we've seen sometimes you subtract the star. And I remember talking about this, Chris, during the NBA Finals, the first year that LeBron was back in Cleveland. And Dwayne Wade was up in Cleveland doing some commentary, and I remember talking to Dwayne about this after the game that I think Cavs went up 2-1 in that series, and that was a series, remember, that Kyrie Irving got hurt in the first game, didn't play again, and that Kevin Love was not available. And Dwayne said, LeBron plays better without another star next to him. And obviously, Dwayne was, prior to him going to Cleveland, you know, really the only superstar that LeBron had played with. And Dwayne was saying LeBron plays better when he's in control of everything and he's playing with guys who sort of understand their roles, playing with shooters, get to their spots. He knows how to make the right passes. And it's it's clear in terms of what the role dealing nation is. And so I do think that he's going to enjoy playing with this group going forward again without making too much of what happened yesterday. It's one of the things I said at the time of the trade. I do think a reinvigorated LeBron because he's he's more in his element playing with these type of players. Maybe that's the thing that sort of pushes him over the edge where he thinks, okay, it's not really worth the trouble of starting somewhere fresh. I'm just going to roll it out here for at least another year.
2: Yeah, and I think the point that you bring up about him playing better without stars makes a ton of sense because when we're talking about stars in the NBA, we're talking about players that can create their own shot that are about creating offense, right? And so when you're pairing LeBron with someone else who does that, you're kind of taking away something that LeBron does best. You're taking away the skill that that he is most known for. And I think when you look at what... His comp is, in terms of historically, it's Magic Johnson rather than Michael Jordan, and and for a lot of people, that's you know led people to denigrate his career. But I think that's his biggest skill, and so yes, it, there are times where it does work that way. Where I would kind of push against it is generally NBA history would lead you to indicate that you need to have multiple stars on a team, and so. I don't know if just rolling out this method and saying, well, LeBron plays best this way. Well, there's a reason why they needed those Kyrie Irving 40-point games to go and win the championship. And so that is something of a balance to strike. To me, the reason why Cleveland makes the most sense is because Cleveland wouldn't need to totally break apart their team to keep him. And I think that is the most difficult part of trying to figure out where LeBron is going to go is even with Golden State, right, if Golden State wanted to bring him in, they got to basically have five players and nothing else, right? So mm-hmm. if you're trying to bring in LeBron James and you're Houston, you're going to have to get rid of Ryan Anderson. You're going to have to get rid of Eric Gordon. You're going to have to get rid of a ton of money and a ton of players in order to make that work because, you know, that's a, it's an expensive salary to go and bring in because I I think we can pretty comfortably say LeBron's not taking less than the max. So where can he go where he would take the max – And someone else would have to create that amount of cap space. And so, to me, Cleveland makes the most sense because he can just keep going again and again,
1: and they can try and figure out a way to add players, but you don't have to break apart the team in order to bring LeBron in. And one of the things I want to make clear here is I'm not saying that there's a better than 50% chance of LeBron staying in Cleveland. I'm simply saying of the teams that he could potentially be with next season, I would put Cleveland first. Doesn't mean that I'm saying that, you know, 51% chance of him being Cleveland. But we're going to split these odds here between all of these different teams. And I still think when you look at those other teams individually and you look at Cleveland, I would still put Cleveland first. And don't underestimate the conference in this situation too because Mm -hmm. Cleveland
2: can very comfortably be the best team in the conference when they're dialed in and when LeBron is going strong. And when you look at the other kind of best teams in the conference is he going to Boston probably not they're pretty well capped out they can get rid of Hayward but I mean the situation between him and Kyrie LeBron frankly as a rival I saw Brian Windhorse was waxing poetic about how many big moments have come in TD Garden over the course of his career a long-standing rivalry with that team Toronto again would have to break apart their team so in terms of if you're looking at the best candidates in the Eastern Conference to go and try and win the championship again You'd still have to say Cleveland is best positioned to 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 take care of that for him.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And again, he's he's not going to Toronto. I I don't I don't think you know when you look at the Eastern Conference, you say Cleveland, you know, with LeBron, if he has the right pieces around him, if he's more comfortable with the front office, he can continue to ignore Dan Gilbert and, and just move on with them the way that he's been. So I, I would still say they're best positioned. Uh, you know, whether or not this group works together. They've got a lot of money committed now going forward to these guys. You know, George Hill is, is a really, uh, you know, I've always thought he was a really nice player. I've always thought he'd be a really good fit next to someone like LeBron, because he can play off the ball and he can defend. A lot of money committed to George Hill over the yeah. next couple of seasons, right? I mean, he's making uh, his contract actually descends, but he's making $20 million this year, then it's nineteen next year, and then he's going to be an $18 million player at age 33. But that last year is non-guaranteed, though, so they can just cut him. Okay, so they'll cut him loose on that one. Uh, Tristan Thompson guaranteed in that last year, 2019-20? I would believe so. I'll, I'll check, right. though. All right so that's so you're looking at close to 19 million for for Tristan Thompson in that year so and then Jordan Clarkson they've got money committed to him now going forward so look Gilbert's going to be paying it a ton of tax if he keeps LeBron, if they uh, if they re-sign Rodney Hood, who's a restricted free agent after the season, that's just the cost of doing business. But look, if he pays it, if he stays out of LeBron's way, even if he decides to sell the team, which is something that's been sort of thrown out there as in a report, although Gilbert came out and denied it, then I, could you see LeBron finishing his career in Cleveland? I think it's more likely as an individual scenario than any of these other ones still, even though I think a lot of these other places could potentially be attractive. Let's get to the second one here, and they're more in play because of the trade that was just made where they cleared out Clarkson's salary, which is the Lakers. And I guess the question here becomes, Chris, is what do we think of the Lakers' young core, and are they far enough along? Have they shown enough potential so far that LeBron would look at them and say, okay, if I don't need to play with a star, if, say, Paul George doesn't come, to the Lakers, or I don't get, or say Demarcus Cousins maybe coming back from the injury doesn't go to Lakers. If I don't get a second star, would playing with guys like Ingram and Kuzma and Ball, some of the other pieces that they have there, they probably need to move out uh, Julius Randle out of the way. But with those three pieces in particular, would that be attractive enough to LeBron to go to a place where he already has a house? Or clearly he's got some Hollywood interests with his uh, Spring Hill entertainment and some of the things that they've done out there. Do you see the Lakers as a potential fit for him?
2: I do, because in in some respects, oddly enough, it reminds me of the letter that he wrote in 2014 when he went from Miami to Cleveland. And the whole idea was going to be, I'm going to build with a young core. Now, obviously flipped Andrew Wiggins for, you know, Kevin Love and, you know, they, they were ready made to compete for a championship straight away. So, I do think that can kind of be BS in some respects, but I also think that the Lakers next season and what they have committed against the salary cap, really the only thing that's prohibitive is Luol Deng, and they got to figure mm-hmm. out to get off of his $36 million. They can use a stretch provision and pay basically $7 million a season. But other than that, in terms of, the cap commitments that they have right now, it's about $40 million heading into next season. And if they get off dang, if they can get off $11 million, so you'd be down to about, you know, 27 million dollars they can do a lot of damage in the free agency market and I think they have enough of a young core and even if let's say LeBron gets there and says I don't want to play with Lonzo Ball I don't want to deal with the LeVar stuff they can do a lot of damage in the trade market in terms of getting Lonzo Ball for a good asset or a good player to fill out that roster so if you're making me guess right now I would say the Lakers are the top candidate to go and get LeBron James because they have so much cap space and they pulled off a pretty amazing trade with Cleveland. And I know, I, I heard uh, both uh, Bobby Marks and, and Adrian Wojnarowski were making this point on their podcast where they were saying, well, the Lakers, if they really wanted to get off of Clarkson in the summer because they they got a commitment from LeBron, they could have done that. But in some respects, Cleveland made it easy on the Lakers. They gave them a first-round pick for Clarkson to to go and get Larry Nance. And, and I just I don't understand that because... The first-round pick can then be used to go and get another player that can help LeBron and the Lake and the Lakers. So yes, they did hasten LeBron's departure from Cleveland because they gave them the out on Jordan Clarkson. There was two contracts they had to move in order to make this work. Uh, jo- uh, Jordan Clarkson actually it was three: Jordan Clarkson, Timofey Mozgov, and Luol Deng. Mm-hmm. Now the Lakers are two-thirds of the way there, and they didn't give up a ton to do it. Now you can. Sort of prognosticate, maybe D'Angelo Russell will be a good player, and the Lakers missed out on that. But you ended up filling that spot with Lonzo Ball, and so they are basically most of the way there in creating the space for LeBron to basically handpick a team. And if if I said to you right now, the Lakers, without making any trades, can have a team with LeBron James and Paul George on it, and then you add it to you know Ball and uh, Josh Hart, who's a, who's a decent-looking player, and Ingram and Kuzma, and then you kind of build from there, I would say that's a bang-on team. And so in terms of if we're talking about a slew of other candidates that would have to break themselves apart in order to add LeBron, do you have a team in the Lakers that can add two superstars with a young core or flip that young core for veteran players? I, I think they're in a perfect position to go and make a real run at LeBron James. And obviously there, there's that secondary factor of you know, he has two homes there and uh, mm-hmm. there was talk of you know, enrolling his kids in school there and, and, and wanted to be in the entertainment business. I think the Lakers, after that Clarkson trade, are perfectly positioned with assets and with salary cap to really make a run at this. And I, I, I think they, they've handled that kind of post-Kobe era and
1: trying to set this up pretty well. Yeah, I think they have, and and I think you've got to give some credit – Uh, To Palinka and to Magic Johnson for doing that and I think you look at the the Kyle Kuzma draft pick and that's a big part of this because you mentioned getting off of the D'Angelo Russell uh, contract or getting off of D'Angelo Russell former number two overall pick but this regime didn't pick him so they didn't have any allegiance to him and they end up in in Kuzma getting a player who who projects now as a long term starter and they get him much deeper in the draft so they didn't have to use a top 15 pick on him Uh, so I think that plays into this a lot makes you feel a little better too if you end up moving on from Julius Randle that you've replaced him with it with a skilled front court player and, now, and, and I think and I think there's been a lot of conversation about
2: the Lakers having traded their pick which this year will convey to either Philly or to Boston mm-hmm. or to you know all, all the all the convoluted scenarios right but if I said to you
1: with a pick in the top five you got a player as good as Kuzma you'd be pretty happy right well, I would think so, considering right now he's in the top five in all-rookie and Rookie of the Year consideration. I mean, I think right now you look at the rookies this year, and Simmons wasn't drafted this year, and I would definitely have Kuzma in the top 10 if you were to redraft that thing. So they've done well with that. You look at some of the players that they've got coming up here on contracts, as you mentioned, Brooke Lopez expires, Contavius Caldwell-Pope expires, although they might. You know that's a Rich Paul thing too. So they, they might they might decide to keep him around. Um, you know, basically to try to attract LeBron there to Los Angeles, or sort of as a favor. Don't to Rich think Paul. and
2: don't think that favor wasn't recognized by LeBron and and his people, right? Because Contavious yep. Caldwell Pope had no market, had nowhere to go. The situation was totally botched by his management team. And oh, the Lakers! Wow, what a, what a coincidence they gave him the seventeen point seven million dollars that Contavious Caldwell Pope was looking for.
1: Right, in a year where uh, where they knew they weren't going to compete. So the other thing about the Lakers is we've seen they've had trouble attracting the premium free agent. But if you had LeBron there and maybe even add Paul George there, too, you would be able to get guys to come in at less money. So you and, would be able to add the complimentary pieces to, to a team in Los Angeles. And also, isn't Magic Johnson an underrated factor in all this? Because we talked all the time about
2: what Riley in the meeting must have been like in terms of having that cachet, having someone on the other end that can kind of you know, really impress people that come into the room. Wouldn't Magic
1: Johnson be the same thing for NBA players? Um I well I think for some NBA players it would have more of an effect than Riley because people don't well first thing they don't remember Riley at all as a player the, the current generation and most of the current generation I mean I think if you go back to when Riley was at his you know I know he won a championship with Miami and uh, as as the head coach and obviously as a as as the guy pulling the strings he won two additional ones but look when Riley made his name was the decade in Los Angeles as their head coach and you know you're talking about the 80s now you're talking about guys who were not born <laughs> during that right, period. Exactly, of time, yeah. Right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, if you're what? Um, I mean, at this stage, 28 years old, you were born in 1990. So you don't you don't even remember Riley with the slick back hair. You know, Magic, those highlights. Have stuck around a little bit longer. So so that might help in that regard. Obviously, doesn't have the chops that Riley does as an executive. But I think with certain players, it would help. I mean, you even saw this week, you know, as much as Isaiah Thomas was unhappy about uh, everything that went down in Cleveland, he always wanted to be a Laker. There, there's a lot of players out there that always wanted to be a Laker. And a lot of that was as a result of Magic Johnson's success there. and And then, you know, Kobe's on the back of that. So, the other thing for LeBron is that as opposed to Chicago, where the Bulls situation I thought was always complicated for LeBron because you know, then he would be clearly following in Jordan's footsteps and would have to hear about that every day it was there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, slash Miami Heat.
0: Say goodbye.
1: The Lakers have had so many stars over the years, unlike the Bulls, where Jordan s- stands apart from all the others. It's the next in the long line, rather than
2: you're supplanting this individual.
1: Right, and I I think that makes a big difference. And if look, if you're going to resurrect a program in the NBA, you know, you looked at, at at the three you know cities where the teams have really struggled in recent years, and it was it was Boston. Prior to their big three getting together, and then after it broke up, it was New York and it was the Lakers. Boston has already rebuilt. New York has never really seemed attractive to LeBron. The Lakers would would make the most sense of those three organizations. All right, let's move to the next one here: the Houston Rockets. Now they have Vegas has the Rockets, and again, this might have changed after the greatest game that any team has ever played, (laughs) uh, where they might switch it back to the Cavaliers. But they have the Rockets first, and you know I, I think a lot of that we talked about Chris Paul earlier. And him being there and it looked like him committing potentially for the long term there, obviously one of LeBron's closest friends in basketball. Of course, LeBron just approved the trade of one of his closest friends in basketball in Dwayne Wade. So I think, again, sometimes uh, we we make a little bit too much of this idea of LeBron wanting to play with his buddies. I think he wants to play with his buddies in the right circumstances. He left his best buddy, Dwayne Wade, to go to Cleveland in 2014. So I, I don't know necessarily that just Chris Paul being on Houston is enough, but but clearly, Chris, the reason for this is, you know, the Rockets, Daryl has done a really good job of building that organization. Houston is a city that a lot of players do like to play in. It's another place with no state tax, so that like uh, with the situation where LeBron was in Miami, he gets to keep a little bit more of his money. That's not the case in Los Angeles. So obviously, he's going to pay a lot of tax on his salary and his other ventures if he's in LA and Houston does look poised to go on, you know, a run here where they can challenge the Warriors and they may be the only team in the NBA that's positioned to do that. The other thing is we've seen that Daryl Morey is capable of moving salary. He's done that repeatedly. He did it to get James Harden in the first place and he did it when Chris Paul opted into his contract and I believe Houston moved seven what was the seven players to be able to make that trade to bring in Chris Paul. So Uh, He's been very creative in terms of the moves that he's made, and he also has a bent towards analytics, which I think LeBron does appreciate. And they got a head coach there in Mike D'Antoni who, with the exception of his problem with Carmelo, which might play into this a little bit because of how tight LeBron is with Carmelo. But D'Antoni has familiarity with LeBron from the Olympics also and is a coach that a lot of players like to play for. So those would be the reasons for Houston. Do any of those make sense for you or do you see it going the other way?
2: They do make sense to me in the abstract, right? If I said to you, you can go play on a team with James Harden and Chris Paul, you go and do it, right? But yes, Houston has experience with getting off a salary. Yes, Houston has experience with you know maneuvering around the rules, right? But I think this might be a bridge too far. And, and again, I, I, this for me is about finding a place for LeBron to go and win the championship, right? And I just don't see how Houston can bring LeBron in basically gut their team in order to do so and sort of on the other side look competitive enough to really compete with Golden State. Now obviously there is a buyout market and I think the buyout market will will, will produce players over the next few years particularly as more and more teams are trying to get off salary. You'll see the sort of minor moves that Golden State has made with bringing in Pachulia, with bringing in Omri Caspi and guys like that on sort of smaller contracts. And you say, wow, look at, look at how attractive that is. But you look at Golden State's roster now, it's it's not the strongest. And I think they're going to struggle at times when they go to the bench in the playoffs and I think when you look at Houston right now they 'll bring p j Tucker back unless they i mean they, they could easily trade him, but Ryan Anderson next year is on twenty million there 's still two years left on his contract that 's going to be a hard one to get off of. Eric Gordon still has two more years left at around thirteen and a half million fourteen million chris Paul. Uh, is obviously on a massive cap hold until they can re- sort of resolve his situation. Trevor Ariza is an unrestricted free agent. Clint Capella is a restricted free agent, and so I just think you go on down the line with their roster. They have too many things to do, and then on top of that, having to clear out, you know, between thirty and thirty-five million to bring LeBron James in. So even if they just wanted to stay intact as a team, they'd go into the luxury tax. Uh, To to then add LeBron James, you're kind of gutting everything about that team. And then you have three players, you know, James Harden would be the best of them from a three-point shooting point of view. This is a team that's built upon three-point shooting. And the fact that they're blazing this new trail in the NBA as this three-point shooting behemoth, they kind of lose that identity if LeBron comes in too. So... Obviously, you have Harden, you have Paul, you have LeBron. Paul, by the way, entering age 33, so you don't know if that's going to be you know him, him at peak form, and so I, I just think that Houston would lose too much of themselves to bring LeBron in. Obviously, you, you go for it and you try and shoot for the stars because that's what Daryl Morey does, but... I just I I don't see it as attractive from a basketball point of view enough to actually win the championship in the Western Conference. There's too much
1: compromising of who they are as a team in order to do it. But they're going to go for it. I don't think there's any Agreed. question. I think I think more of the issue is whether he would go for it. I, I think if you look at their their salary situation coming up, uh, you know Harden, I mean that contract escalates too. I mean it, it's at thirty million next year. Then it goes to thirty eight, forty one, forty four. And then in 2022-23, 2020, which who knows if LeBron would still be playing at that stage. He once told me he wanted to play till he was 40. So what is he now? He's 33. So that's I guess he would still be playing in that season. Harden's contract is a player option for $47 million. So <laughs> the rest of their roster would be built the way that we saw the Heat try to build when LeBron first went to Miami or, when, or the Heat try to build when Shaq first went to Miami, which is you just try to build it out with role guys who take less money, um, you know, to play with these guys. I mean, that's the way it would have to be, but I do think Daryl Morey would take the swing because we've seen that as much as he talks about analytics and all the rest and building a roster that way, he goes for the big fish. I mean, they brought in Dwight Howard didn't work out so well with James Harden. They made the trade for Harden that ended up being a very good trade in terms of the pieces that they gave away, but, but it's time. It seemed like they gave up a lot and then they make the trade where they trade what Seven guys off their roster yeah. to get Chris Paul. There's no question that Morey would do it. Would LeBron do it? I, I think you know a couple things here. One is if Houston gets to the finals, if they beat Golden State, to me that takes the Rockets off the table for LeBron because then he's doing the Durant thing. Especially if it's Cleveland on the other side right. of Houston in the NBA Finals, he can't switch teams like Durant did and go to the team that. Why beat him. not? <laughs> because we, we my, well, I, I asked the question because we didn't think Durant would do it, but Durant did no, it. No, we we didn't. But LeBron is so legacy conscious. No matter how much he talks about how he's not, he he is. There's no question. I I mean, I he's aware of everything. I, I remember in Cleveland having a conversation with him about. Uh, he saw he saw a meme that showed that uh, that he brought in that it, tickets when he came to town went up more than when Kobe came to town. That as a, as a visiting player, and he was he was proud of this. Like he takes all of that stuff, like in terms of you know going after Jordan, being the best player of his generation. That stuff does matter to him, no matter how much he might say at times publicly that it doesn't. I, I don't think he could switch teams and go to the team that just beat him in the playoffs. I don't think that he would do that. Now I think it's different if Houston loses to Golden State in 5 games in the in the Western Conference Finals or if they lose if Houston loses and I don't think this is going to happen but if they lose to OKC in the second round and say a 2-3 matchup if the, if the Thunder get up to third here over the rest of the season then I think there's more of a case that LeBron can make well I'm trying to get this team over the hump right I'm trying to help them mm-hmm. get to the finals and beat Golden State and and I I think that would be a compelling story for him, going to the Western Conference for the first time, then it would look like he's going into the teeth of it. That would look like more of a heroic move in terms of, okay, Golden State wins again. I'm going to go out there on your terms in your conference and try to beat you. I, I think that looks much better. So I think a lot of it has to do with what Houston does going forward. The other thing about this is you know, a lot of it has to do with whether the star in a city is willing to welcome The other player there. And we saw in Miami that Dwayne Wade was willing to move aside a little bit and allow LeBron the space to be the number one guy on the team. Right. And even though, as we've seen this week, how much Dwayne means to Miami, that Dwayne stepped aside a little bit in terms of his responsibility for LeBron. Would Harden do that? Right. Because Harden is clearly I mean, Chris Paul just got there. Harden has established himself as the face of Houston basketball, maybe the MVP this year. Would Harden be willing to move aside? And particularly because Harden handles the ball so much, too. We've already had the question this year of whether it would work with Harden and Paul playing together. And I know that D'Antoni has staggered them somewhat in terms of their minutes so that they both get a unit to run. But if you're going to add LeBron to that mix, you've got three guys who are used to bringing the ball up the court Chris Paul might step aside, even as you know we know how Chris Paul can be a little stubborn sometimes. He might move aside. Would James Harden move aside? And I wonder if LeBron would look at that and say, is this a good fit for me to go to a team with two ball-dominant guys? That might be the other thing right. to we,
2: we We talked about Houston for eight minutes and, and, and
1: didn't ponder. This is kind of a basketball redundancy. How does this work from a basketball point of view? That might be something that they have to work through. All right, I want to get to Team 4 here in terms of teams that could be in play for LeBron James this summer. And we're going to talk about this one in part, Chris, because both of us are based here, but also because you and I were a little bit stunned that Vegas came up with 10 teams as potential destinations for LeBron James and didn't put on there the team that he spent four years with and won two championships. So as part of this is just to throw it out there to, please our Miami audience. But also, I think... <laughs> Bladen pandering? Is, is that why <laughs> like, this is here? I, I think so, a little bit. Um, <laughs> and we'll throw it out there for Team Petty. But but also, it, it's it's really not as crazy a notion as, say, Detroit, right? Or oh, Minnesota. Yeah. Absolutely. That LeBron might just come back to a place that he tends to like to still spend a lot of time, which is Miami. And, and, Dwayne, Wade know, you,
2: did, and Dwayne Wade did tell the local press on Friday, I plan on serving out the rest of my career here.
1: He said that, and he also said that he and LeBron would talk about the great times that they had together before in that other place. That other place was Miami. And so, also, I believe Dwayne also
2: said that he would catch LeBron looking at heat scores on his phone.
1: That he was still keeping tabs on Miami. He, well, I, look, I can't speak for the past couple years, but I, I can tell you that first year back in Cleveland that he was keeping tabs on Miami a couple of circumstances the one was the day that riley at, a, at a, i would happen to be in cleveland when riley in the press conference in miami made the smiling faces with hidden agendas comment and some of the reporters in cleveland I believe it was Joe Varden from Cleveland.com asked LeBron about it. He hadn't heard about it at the time. He was asked about it after a practice, because it happened while LeBron was practicing. And LeBron came up to me after the the scrum, because LeBron basically brushed it off, so I don't know what he's talking about. And he came up to me after the scrum and he said, What the bleep did Ryle say now? <laughs> so he was keeping he he was keeping tabs on, on what was going on in Miami. Again, I can't speak for the past couple of years. I can say that that he's made positive comments about a lot of heat players over the years so again you and, add all and also that, you know, and also there there isn't that kind of burnt bridge from a
2: fan point of view yeah there are fans that you know kind of soured on him but when he came back it was a pretty positive experience
1: uh i think it was i mean fans were not happy about what two things right they 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 were not happy about you know him not communicating with riley at the end and some of the decisions that then the heat went ahead and made which they may not have made if they thought lebron was leaving the two moves two primary moves that the Heat made beyond drafting Shabazz Napier, which the Heat probably would have drafted Clint Capella if they didn't know that LeBron liked Napier, which LeBron made clear on Twitter. The other two moves, which were not with LeBron's authority at the time, were signing Danny Granger. And the other move that they made at the time was Josh McRoberts, neither of which impressed LeBron. And I remember at the time, Chris, talking to a a guy who was no longer with the Heat but had been with the Heat during uh, the big three era who said, that's what you're doing to keep LeBron, Danny Granger and Josh McRoberts. So again, it depends on which side you talk to on that. But he fans were not happy because they thought if LeBron had committed earlier, they might have been able to get, say, a Kyle Lowry or a Pal Gasol or someone like that. And the other thing they weren't happy about was they felt LeBron didn't thank the fans enough when he left. So... As far as the fans go, I think we've seen, Chris, fans – if you're a great, great player, fans are going to accept you back uh, no matter what happens. We're all giant frauds is basically what, right. you, what you mean to say. Right, but I don't know how he feels about his entire Miami experience at this time. He sold the house down here, right? His wife doesn't have the juice store down here anymore. There's really no <laughs> ties with, Le- with LeBron Remember to Miami. Remember the juice
2: store was a storyline? Oh my that god, was, that
1: was a huge storyline. Well, we talked about this on the MLS pod, right? Like the huge storyline was LeBron was going to be involved with Beckham's team, right? Yeah. That didn't happen either. So uh, he doesn't have really any ties to Miami, I guess, other than his trainer at this stage, and you know people who are still in the Heat organization. But I I just wouldn't rule it completely out. Again, when you're comparing it to some of the other teams here, I think it's far more likely that he would patch things up with Riley enough to be able to come back. Now, let's look at this from the—let's twist this a little bit, Chris. Maybe you handle some of this. On the Heat angle, could the Heat even create the space to bring in LeBron James? Because as I look at their roster, and we've talked about this in a couple of previous pods, but I don't know that they have a ton of movable contracts, and they don't have anything close to a max slot going forward. How would they do that? Really, the way to do it would be to
2: staple whatever bad contracts you have onto the young players, onto Winslow and onto Bam, and use those two guys as the incentive for getting off of that salary. So I think you can probably trade uh, Hassan Whiteside for a decent haul or expiring contracts in return. So maybe you can get off of that salary pretty easily. But Tyler Johnson, catastrophe. We've talked about that a number of times in terms of what he still owed. Goran Dragic, I think, again, you can trade for young pieces or pieces that are expiring so you can save some salary there. And then if you want to get off of James Johnson or Deion Waiters, I think you're, you're, you're stapling a Winslow or a Bam Adebayo to it in order to make that work. So to really get enough so that you can get to max space, you'd have to basically get rid of around 50 to $55 million. That's a lot of work to do, particularly when you can't trade a first-round pick until 2023 to really make it work. You gave up a, a, a protected 2024 second-round pick to make Dwayne Wade work in terms of getting him to come in. So I guess if you're looking at the biggest reason against it, there is just a long road in order to get the salary space. And again, you're gutting your team for one superstar. You can't even pair him with another superstar. And you have this Tyler Johnson situation. So I guess that would be the reason why this doesn't happen. And the making up with Riley thing that I think probably is a, a factor in all this as well.
1: Yeah, I think that could be bridged. I I I do think that could be bridged, and and I, I think there are others in the organization who could step in there. And there may be look, after what LeBron's dealt with in Cleveland in terms of the lack of organization there at times. I I, I think that's what Wade was getting at with that quote, the way thing, he said the way things were done, right? And I so I think that there's more appreciation now. for for the way things were done in Miami the structure of Miami some things that maybe LeBron didn't appreciate at the time the other thing about this is everything that I've heard particularly about that last year in Miami and this was my observation being around that team every day too is that it wasn't LeBron that was complaining about so many things that were going on with the team it was other players who were going to LeBron to complain so I think again a lot of that could be bridged, but you're right. When you look at the contracts, I mean, what would, I guess this is a question, what would be left on the roster? Because to, to get rid of some of the players that they currently have, you're right, they would need to staple their more attractive players. So they would need to staple Adebayo, potentially. They would need to staple maybe even Josh Richardson's contract, which looks reasonable considering the player that Josh is morphing into here, and maybe Winslow's contract. So you're talking about the three players with the most upside on your team to get rid of some of the other pieces, you would probably have to move two of those guys potentially, and then there's just nothing left. It's not It's not like when LeBron came down in 2010 and you know the Heat was pretty easily able to move Michael Beasley's contract off the books. They had a lot of other contracts that were coming up because they'd prepared for it. And so, you know, really all they had left on the roster was Mario Chalmers, and it was they could kind of rebuild the team from scratch at that point, and, and that's what they did, and they were able to get those guys to take less money to be able to accommodate Mike Miller and Udonis Haslem. This would be, I, I think, I mean, you talk about Andy Ellisberg as a wizard, as as the Heat's cap guy, but I, I don't I don't know how you move all of these contracts. So we threw it on there for fun, because, uh, again, I think it, I think it would be more attractive to LeBron than some of the other teams, that are in this mix because it's a proven organization that he knows can win. And it's in a place that he clearly in, you know, still enjoys coming to. But I, I don't know how the Heat would be able to pull that off. All right, let's get to the, uh, the fifth one here on our list of places that LeBron could potentially go this offseason. And we're just going to call it the field, Chris. Mm-hmm. So the three teams that you can make some kind of a case for, or at least LeBron having some interest in beyond the four that we've talked about, would be the Spurs the Sixers, and the Warriors. So let's go with the Spurs first. Do you see anything there for LeBron in San Antonio? Again, it's a tough one
2: because of the salary situation and what they would have to do in order to get him. I just think that you can't rule San Antonio out because of the pedigree that they have as an organization but again it it's another basketball situation where you look at next year they have Gasol on you know a deal that right now looks like a pretty pad one uh, next mm-hmm. year on 16 million dollars Patty Mills they can trade he's on 12 Danny Green, Rudy Gay and Joffrey LaVerne all have player options for next year. Danny Green's on $10 million, so that's kind of iffy on whether or not he would... I, I would I'd imagine he'd be opting out of that. Uh, Rudy Gay on eight, $8.8 million, maybe opts in, who knows. So it's really those top four salaries of Aldridge, Leonard Gasol, and Patty Mills in terms of players that are free agents currently on the team. Kyle Anderson's a player they probably want to bring back Tony Parker is probably retiring. Davis Bertans is a young player. And uh, Bryn Forbes as well. All, All young players. Maybe you can get back relatively cheap. So that's another team that has to do some gymnastics in order to make this work. Kawhi Leonard, though, on just $20 million is pretty damn attractive at this point. So I do wonder if maybe LeBron considers it the market isn't great. And I don't know if the surrounding team is good enough. But... I'm never ruling out Pop because it's Pop, and I think uh, if you're a superstar player and you're looking at a place to go and play, playing for Pop is pretty damn attractive.
1: And that appreciation for Pop, which has gone back a long ways, I think would only grow now, now that Pop has gotten so much more active politically and his views align exactly <laughs> with LeBron's. That's an interesting one. I, I even consider that. Yeah, that he respects uh, not just uh, professionally, but also personally, so much and and, LeB- and pop was also the coach around the NBA who was most supportive of lebron during the period of time when lebron was getting blamed for things unfairly if you go back particularly to the early heat days pop was the guy who was out there you know sort of waving the pom poms for lebron so that that hasn't been forgotten i'm sure so that that would all play into it but you're right they have some things that they would have to do. I think it does appeal. It would appeal to LeBron, though, also. Not only is this a winning organization, but uh, I don't think the Spurs are probably going to get past the second round in the playoffs, so it wouldn't be dealing with the legacy issue there in terms of joining a team that was at the top. I, I, I think it's going to be hard for the Spurs to get out of the second round this year, so a little bit easier for them to join him. All right, total opposite end of the spectrum here in terms of organizations, the way that they've done things over the years, although they do have a former Spurs coach in charge, the Sixers. And I know you've watched the situation closely because you were a fan of a lot of their, their rebuild. I like the process. There, you like the process. You trusted it. Is the process at a stage now where it's a potential option for LeBron James? Yes.
2: I really do believe that because you look at their current salary situation, the fact that, yes, they signed Joel Embiid to an extension that starts to kick in next year, but they're pretty low in terms of money and in terms of the the commitments that they have. They only have around $70 million, basically, committed to players next year and 25 of that is going to Embiid so you have Covington who's on a really good contract at 10 million Jared Bayless who's on an expiring contract so that's pretty easy to get rid of that eight and a half million Markel Fultz who he for me is the interesting one because you can trade him and get rid of his $8 million and maybe you know get off of him and get something back in return. But I think Markel Fultz might be the only kind of difficulty in all this. But you look at the rest of the team, Ben Simmons on $6.5 million, Dario Sarovic on $2.5 million. So you have contributors, you have salary cap space. So I, I really do think that Philly would be, if I was kind of looking at it, if, you know, we talk about great basketball cities. I think, you know, the the way that the Sixers fans have gotten behind the process and now are super excited about the fact that they have a, a playoff contending team and appear to have a real future, I think is, would be really cool to be a part of. It's a young group. Embiid uh, right now is 23, Simmons 21, Saric 23, Justin Anderson 24, Markel Fultz only 19. So
1: it's a hugely promising situation, and I think LeBron should consider it. Couple things here. First, natural rivalry with Boston, which I think is appealing. So LeBron. Also, you know, we saw with them winning the Super Bowl how that city reacted. That's obviously appealing, also. So, so I think that would be attractive to him, just in terms of the way the fan base acted. But the other thing to look at too is Ben Simmons is a clutch client. He's with LeBron's agency. I'm glad and, you know this stuff because that
2: for me is just. Oh, uh,
1: well, that but that matters. I yeah, mean, it when, does. When, when, I mean, that's the re- look. That's the reason that Tristan Thompson's getting paid what he's getting paid in Cleveland. That's the reason, as we talked about, that Contavious Caldwell Pope got eighteen million dollars with the Lakers. That's a big deal here because he, LeBron had a relationship. You know, gr- there's been a lot written and said about his relationship with Rich Paul and how that evolved. But you know, Ben Simmons is is next for that agency, right? Like LeBron was the guy. And now Ben Simmons, you know, at 21 years old, looks like he's going to be, you know, someone who makes 10 all-star teams and potentially wins MVPs. And he's the greatest success story for that agency so far, because, you know, it's, it's started with LeBron and now LeBron's been part of building that agency. And so what would be better than playing with the guy and helping to sort of instill things in him that you want to instill, you know, what would be better than that Let's get to the last one here, and we just got to throw it out there because it's, it did get a lot of talk a couple of weeks ago. The Warriors, I, I don't see any way, honestly, that LeBron does this. Um, I could see him meeting with Golden State and it, it raising, you know, a big uproar here, but I could see him meeting with them to sort of Get some secrets about the way that they run things. Um, you know, he's always said good things about Steve Kerr, also, and I think some of you know Kerr is a little bit like Popovich, and the fact that his views align with LeBron in a lot of ways. So I, I could see him having a meeting with the Warriors, but I, I think you know, unless the Warriors went out in the first round here and looked awful doing it and were <laughs> fracturing, it, LeBron could come save them. I think from a legacy perspective, it's just it's a terrible move for him, and I just don't see how it makes any sense. I, I guess the other issue is how the Warriors, with their cap situation, would be able to. I mean, clearly Clay Thompson would be out the door, but who, who else would they have to get rid well, of? I, I think it I just th- doesn't they, make a lot of sense. I think they could
2: do it because uh, KD's on a one-year deal, right? So I think they could do it if if KD takes a little bit less, and then they get off of Iguodala Livingston. I don't know i i because I, I remember uh Kevin Pelton wrote after the Chris Haynes story about how they would do it, and i think uh and I think it it wouldn't take that much. I do sort of wonder though if the legacy question can be a bit overstated because it's something that we as media people think about, but I'm not sure that you know basketball players, particularly. I think LeBron broke the mold in this area when he when he joined with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade to come and play in Miami, and then all the the, the players that have followed suit since. Yes, obviously, this idea that Golden State being so good that they've ruined basketball would only get further exacerbated by LeBron being there. But I'm not sure that modern players care that much, and and, and so I I do sort of wonder if. Let me go have some fun. Let me win some titles and and enjoy myself. I still think that's an enticing proposition. I still view it to be a remote possibility, but not one that I'm totally ruling out because of this kind of modern era of basketball where this has become more and more common.
1: Right, but if you look at the Miami situation when he joined them the first time, that was a team that was coming off two uh, first round losses, right? Like, I mean, a team that won in the 40s, the two previous years. But it's still uh, a
2: team, Ethan, that I think a lot of people thought Jeff Van Gundy even gave voice to it at the time. Yeah, he said they'd win 72 games. That they win 73 games, and that that this was kind of the end of basketball. Who's going to be able to compete with them?
1: But then it's it's gotten worse since. Right. I mean, I think the the Durant. I mean, to me, the closest comparison of all of them is that obviously is Durant going out to Golden State. But then this is overkill on top of overkill. I would have a hard time seeing how LeBron's image would be able to survive going out to Golden State. I don't I don't think it would matter what he did as a, as a player. Whereas I think we look at all these other options. I think that there's still room for LeBron's legacy to grow. I think he goes to Golden State and it's pretty much capped out. At that point. All right. So we've got uh, we again seven different options that we covered here on the podcast. Uh, be sure if you're on iTunes in particular, leave your comments uh, with who you w- what you think is the most likely destination. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you have Android, you can find us on Stitcher. Also find us on Google Play. Um, downloads have been growing. We appreciate that. Thanks for for listening and be sure to suggest topics as well. And we will speak to you soon.